So in this odd little gospel lesson this morning, there is a decision presented to us. A decision. Will we succumb to fear or will we embrace love? Will our lives be marked by self-justifying greed or will we learn to give of ourselves in compassion with and for others? Now perhaps, at first blush, none of this is there. Perhaps it seems like I'm overreaching. So let's take a look. To order, in order to truly appreciate this morning's gospel lesson, then I, I think we have to, to have a sense of, of just why Mary is so grateful. You see, Mary's brother Lazarus had died. Before his death, Lazarus had fallen ill, and so the family had sent for their friend Jesus with the hopes that Jesus would be able to heal Lazarus. But then Jesus did not arrive, and Lazarus grew more and more ill until Lazarus died. Mary and her sister Martha grieved for the loss of their brother. They had a funeral, and they buried Lazarus in a tomb. And still, Jesus did not arrive. In fact, it was not until four days after Lazarus had died that Jesus finally shows up. Mary and Martha, and many others, felt that if only Jesus had got there a little bit earlier, then Jesus could have healed Lazarus and kept him from dying. And they went ahead and they told Jesus as much. For his part, Jesus grieved for and wept at the death of his friend Lazarus. But when Jesus came to Lazarus' burial place, a cave with a, with a stone covering the entrance, Jesus ordered the stone rolled away. Jesus prayed to God and then cried out in a loud voice for Lazarus to come out. And Lazarus, the man who had died but now lived, walked from his tomb and back into the life of his family and his friends. It is shortly after these events that we find Jesus in the home of Lazarus and Martha and Mary. They are at a feast in celebration of the new life that Lazarus has been given. And that is why Mary is so grateful. For her sorrow has now been transformed into joy. Her desolation has become gratitude. It's not just Lazarus who has been given new life, but indeed it is Mary as well. The fact that Lazarus now lives changes everything for her. Her life is now marked by faith and hope and love, especially love. It is this love that Mary longs to convey to Jesus. She brings out an outrageously expensive jar of perfume made from nard, 
Nard, by the way, is an amber-colored Himalayan essential oil, if you were wondering. Lord knows I was. But Mary uses this perfume and she anoints Jesus' feet with the perfume. And she even goes so far as, as wiping Jesus' feet with her hair. It is a, a wild and extravagant and intimate gift. Mary responds to the love that she's been shown with her own flamboyant manifestation of love. She responds to the abundant love of God made known to her through Jesus and through her raising and through the raising of her brother with her own gift of abundance. It is a wildly extravagant act, and it is too much for some. At the very least, it is too much for for Judas Iscariot, the man who will come to betray Jesus. Judas questions Mary's act of abundant love and asks whether this extremely expensive perfume should not have been sold for almost a year's wages with the proceeds given to the poor. We might wonder, too. Clearly, there is a question of discernment here about the stewardship of gifts and the use of resources. But as is often the case, the pragmatic concern is a mask for greed and a mask for fear. For as we are quickly told, Judas is not asking an honest question meant to encourage honest discernment. Instead, Judas is motivated by greed, for we are told that Judas would steal from the common purse. But here's the thing, Judas is greedy because Judas is fearful. Fear keeps Judas from trusting in God's abundance. Fear keeps telling Judas there is not enough and that his happiness and his joy will be found in stealing for himself. It is fear that keeps Judas cut off from the very poor that Judas claims he wants to help. In response to the fear of, Laz- of, of Judas, Jesus offers an enigmatic and often misused response. Jesus says, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Ever since Jesus said this, there have been folks who have used that last bit as an excuse for turning their backs on those in need, claiming that Jesus was more interested in spiritual matters and not in helping those who are suffering from the desperation of, or from poverty. But if you're going to claim that, then you have to conveniently ignore the many, many other times Jesus commanded his disciples to care for the poor and the marginalized. It would be to ignore them many, many times in the Hebrew scriptures where God shows the same concern and issues the same command to help. When Jesus tells his disciples they will always have the poor with them, 
It is not to dismiss the poor. Jesus is not telling them to ignore the poor, but, but rather to actually see the poor. In point of fact, throughout Jesus' ministry, Jesus always associated himself with the poor. So much so that Jesus tells the disciples that to serve the poor is to serve Jesus. And to serve Jesus is to serve the poor. And so here Mary is, serving the poor as she serves Jesus. Mary sees Jesus in need. She sees that Jesus is heading toward Jerusalem and toward the confrontation that will mean his death. And so Mary cares for Jesus. She ministers to Jesus. She shows her love to Jesus through the concrete expression of anointing his feet as a sign of her trust in God's abundance and in God's love. Mary is assured that even after this extravagant act, there will be enough to care for others. There will be enough to care for the poor. And so she is free in this moment of vulnerability to offer a lavish gift of love to one particular person in need, to her friend Jesus. She does not succumb to the fear that there will not be enough. No, instead, Mary trusts and she extravagantly shows her love. So much of our lives is defined by this dynamic of love versus fear. This dynamic manifests itself in our personal lives, in our relationships with our friends and our family. It manifests itself in our communities and in the ways that we structure our schools and our workplaces, our neighborhoods, and our city. This dynamic of love versus fear manifests itself on a national and global level. How much of our politics is defined by fear? How much of our economic system is defined by by a fear of scarcity? This dynamic of love versus fear manifests itself in our care for the environment. The invitation on all of these levels is to not let fear dominate us, but instead to meet the challenge of our lives with a love born from a trust in the love of God that God has first shown us. It is easy, far, far too easy, to mask our greed and our fear in seemingly pragmatic concerns. And it is so much harder to freely give of ourselves and to love as we have been loved. The invitation that today's odd little gospel lesson gives us is to leave fear aside and instead to turn and trust toward 
towards God's abundance. Our lives are filled with small decisions and large. But in each decision, we face this choice to turn toward love or to turn towards fear. Jesus bids us to turn toward love. Turn in love toward those in need who we will always have with us. Turn in love to the God who gives God's very self to us in love through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Turn. Turn in this season of Lent. Turn. Turn toward love. Amen.